It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, welcome back to another study in the book of Colossians. Uh, last time we began looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 down to verse 20, and I'd actually like to finish that up in this particular session. Uh, it is such a rich declaration of Jesus, and I actually had pondered about kind of not doing a study on the whole book of Colossians and just looking at these few verses. I, I think there's so much depth and profundity in this little tiny section that we could probably spend, well, we could spend a lot of sessions just looking at who is Jesus as revealed by Paul in this, in this little statement. So let me just read this to you again. And again, we're not going to spend a lot of time and, and we're not going in, in incredible depth. I'd love for you to study this out on your own uh, even deeper. But I, I want you to be deeply acquainted. I, I want you just to know who our precious Jesus is. And so here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. Speaking about Jesus, he says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything." For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Uh, last time we were looking at the first several verses, and we were looking at four key things that Paul says in verse 15 through 17 of who Jesus is. Uh, we looked at this idea that Jesus is God himself. Uh, which is in verse 15, it comes from that idea of the image. Uh, we learn that Jesus is the priority or he is the focus, which comes out of that idea of being the firstborn. That he is the creator, as Paul tells us in verse 16, and that he is the sustainer or he is the goal or he is the focus. He is the glue that holds all creation together, as he mentions at the end of uh, verse 17. Now, he gives us one more of these in the beginning of verse 18. And he says this, that Jesus is the head. Uh, look at this passage in Colossians 1.18. He says, And Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So Paul is using the language that he is, that Jesus is head. Uh, I, one of the things that I love about the book of Ephesians is Ephesians is really focused on the body, the, the church. And several times, Paul emphasizes the fact that, hey, we are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. But in the book of Colossians, it almost flips it around and says, okay, yes, you are the body, but woo, let's focus on the head. So we're, whereas Colossians focuses on the head, Ephesians focuses on the body. But look, look at this concept. Paul says Jesus is the head. Uh, that word head has this idea of the one who's in charge, uh, it's the one who is uh, over all things. Uh, think about your own body. Uh, when you are going to, say, move your right arm, what determines what moves your right arm? Well, it's your head. That the entire body comes under the authority, the influence, the dictatorship, if you will, of the head. 
And that's who Jesus is. That he is over all things. That he is the leader. He is the head. He is the preeminent one in charge of the body, which is his church, us. Are you actually under that authority? See, I think for too many Christians, we just presume that we can just go to church and check it off our list and then go live however we want to. And yet the reality is that a Christian is under the headship of Jesus Christ. That he is our authority. He is our head. Uh, look at what one scholar says about this idea. He says, in Greek, the word head meant a source and origin as well as a leader and ruler. Jesus Christ is the source of the church, his body, and its leader. Paul called him the beginning, which tells us that Jesus Christ has priority in time as far as his church is concerned. So Jesus is in this position of headship. He is the leader and ruler of his body, the church. But he also uses the word beginning. It's the Greek word arche, and it's interesting. It means origin. It's the first end of a series. It means the leader or the originator. Uh, it's very similar to the word we looked at last time. It has this idea. It could be first in a series of something. In other words, it's at the very beginning of, you know, like the letter A is at the beginning of the alphabet. It has that idea. But the way it's being used here, its emphasis is, again, going back to the idea of headship. That he is the, the leader, the head. He's the beginning. He's the ruler over all. And again, it, uh, that, that seems to be the indication uh, in verse 18. So it says again that he's the head of the body, his church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now it's interesting that word firstborn, we looked at it in the last study. It's the exact same word that was used back in verse 15, but it means a priority of position, not origin. Again, so, so the idea is you could be the firstborn child biologically, but that doesn't mean you actually have the rights of the firstborn. Uh, for example, Esau was the firstborn biologically of Isaac, and yet Jacob had the rights of the firstborn, even though he wasn't biologically the firstborn. So back in verse 15, it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that he's the priority, he's the focus of all creation. Why? Because he's the creator and the sustainer of all creation. And now here in verse 18, it says that he is the firstborn from the dead, which again does not mean that he was the firstborn, the first one that ever rose from the dead. In fact, we know that in the Gospels, several people rose from the dead. Uh, we have Lazarus. Uh, we have the widow's son. So there were people who rose from the dead, but that's not what this is talking about. Uh, Lazarus rose from the dead, and eventually he died again, you know? So Jesus, he is firstborn, not in the sense of the series, but in the sense of the priority and the focus. So think about this fun contradiction uh, or oddity that Paul is making in our passage. He's saying that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Again, not meaning that he was the first one that to ever be alive from the dead, but that he has the priority and the focus and the emphasis as being the first one from the dead which makes sense because when he rose from the dead, an entirely brand new thing was established. Paul says that he was the first fruits from the dead, that there was something new happening in the body of Jesus. And what was it? 
It was, it's this reality of a resurrected body. And again, I don't know how, how far to push this, and I don't know what you want to do with all this, but it's interesting to me that, again, there were people who rose from the dead before Jesus, but eventually they died again. But Jesus was the first one. He is the priority. He is the focus of being the woo, firstborn from the dead. And Paul says that he is the prototype, the first fruits of what we get to experience. And let me give you a few verses on this idea. 1 John 3, 2, John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it is not here as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. It's amazing. Romans 6, 5, For if we united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Or Philippians 3, which says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Get this. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. That somehow we get to experience that same kind of resurrection from the dead. That somehow the body that he had in his resurrection, somehow we get to experience that phenomenal reality. So again, Paul is emphasizing that, wow, he's the head. He's the leader. He's the ruler. He's the firstborn. He is the one with all the focus of this thing. So as you go into the, uh, the flow of what he's saying in this passage, Jesus is God, verse 15 He's the priority, the end of verse 15, this idea of the firstborn. He's the creator, verse 16. He is the sustainer, verse 17. He is the head, the ruler, the leader, verse 18. And that is all coming to a particular point or an emphasis, which you could say is the so that in verse 18. And what is the so that? Oh, look at this. It says, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Or the ESV translates it, that in everything he might be, be preeminent. Uh, that word to be preeminent, be, uh, has this idea, it's a state that you come into. It's a reality that you begin to experience. It is something that begins, it's a condition that begins to happen. So get this. Here is who Jesus is. Here is his glory and majesty and honor. And what is the whole point of that? Why is Paul giving this declaration of who Jesus is? It is so that he would come into a position. He might have this state. He might have this position that is first above all in all things. He is to be preeminent. Uh, the word preeminent means first, uh, first place, first a priority, uh, the big focus. I mean, this is the drive. And by the way, this is the only time that word is used uh, in the New Testament. Isn't it interesting that Paul is emphasizing Jesus is to be the big deal of your life? By the way, that's the whole message of this book. Uh, not just a book of Colossians, but the entire book of Scripture. That Jesus is the big deal. He has always been the preeminent one. This has always been about him. He is the creator over all. He's the sustainer of all. He is the preeminent one. 
he is to be first in all things, that he is the priority in all things. Is that true in your life? I look at the day in which we live and boy, it seems like we are so distracted. <laughs> and, I, and I keep saying this, but I think it's just, it becomes more and more apparent with each passing day of how much the church is distracted by the things of this world. Now you look at individual lives and we are so distracted. Uh, if you ever want to look at priorities of someone's life, you really only need to look in three areas. How do they spend their time? How do they spend their money? And what do they talk about? Those three things kind of reveal the priorities of someone's life. Where I, where, I, where I put my time, where I put my money, and what I talk about is going to reveal the very depths of my heart. Uh, if I'm obsessed with sports, man, I'm going to spend time watching sports. I'm going to spend my money doing sports. I'm going to be talking about sports. Uh, people are out video games or shopping. Well, hey, what, what are they? Where, their, where is their time? Where is their money? And where is their language all wrapped up in? It's whatever's our priority. Wouldn't it be neat if Jesus was that in our lives? That, that he was first place in all things in our lives? That, that he had the center stage? That he was the preeminent one? He, was, he, was, he had first place in all things? That when you looked at my time, oh, it was all wrapped up in Jesus? When you looked at my money, oh, the priority of my money was Jesus. That when you looked at what I talked about, yeah, yeah, I'll talk about the weather, but man, the priority of my life is Jesus. See, where is the priority? Where is the focus of your life? And may I exhort you, if it is anywhere but Jesus, then you have an idol in your life. That if anything has become first in your life above Jesus, that is called idolatry. And we need to repent of that. We need to fall on our face before the cross and say, Jesus, hey, you've got to forgive me because I have placed money. I have placed my work. I have placed success. I have placed shopping. I have placed sports. I have placed entertainment. I have placed whatever it may be in your life. Lord, I have placed that before you. And Lord, I'm spending the priority of my time and my energy and my, my money and my, and my language wrapped up in something that ultimately is not going to last could you and I repent of any of these idolatrous, adulterous lifestyles and attitudes and things in our life? They may not even be bad and evil. They just have the wrong place. Uh, movies in and of themselves are not evil. I, I like a good movie, but it cannot be my, the priority of my life. I love reading a good book, but it cannot be the priority of my life. See, uh, shopping's not evil. I, I got to go shopping. I got to go buy clothes. I, I need to buy food at least once in a while. <laughs> but that cannot be the priority of my life. Uh, sports is not evil in and of itself, but it cannot be the priority of my life. See, nothing is to grab a hold of my attention and my focus more than Jesus. Well, I've got to work. I know we've got to work. But work and success and money cannot be the priority of our life above Jesus. See, what would it look like for Jesus truly to have first place in all things, in every area, at every moment of the day in our lives? That's what Paul is getting at when he says that he is to be preeminent. And Paul says, the reason I'm telling you of who Jesus is, the reason I'm telling you, telling you about his glory and his grandeur is so that Jesus would come and have a position of being first place in all things. Is that true in you? 
Now, in verse 19 and 20, Paul moves from that whole emphasis of the so that, that he is to have first place in everything, and he kind of gives the because or the reason for this whole thing. And he says in verse 19 and 20, he says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He starts off talking about this idea of all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Uh, that word, fullness, it gives this idea that it is the sum total, get this, the sum total of all the divine attributes is filled up in Jesus. That Jesus is the full revelation of God. Nothing left out and nothing more is needed. He has the fullness. And what is really interesting is this particular Greek word was a favorite word of the Gnostics. And Paul uses it eight times in the book of Colossians, speaking about this idea that, hey, whatever you think may have the fullness, Jesus is the one of the fullness itself. So get this idea. The fullness of God, all the fullness of God was pleased to reside in Jesus. Here's what Spurgeon said of this idea. Speaking of all the fullness of God, he said two mighty words, fullness of substantial, comprehensive, expressive word in itself, and the word all, a great little word that includes everything. When combined in the expression all fullness, we have before us a superlative wealth of meaning. What Spurgeon is saying is, whoa, when you look at what Paul is saying, when all the fullness of God resided in Jesus, that is so rich and so full of meaning that we could stop right there and spend the rest of our lives pondering that phenomenal reality. And we hinted about this in the last study. And again, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen about this idea of the mystery of godliness. That, that here is this overwhelming God, the triune God, who has revealed himself in the flesh in Christ. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And he's on every page of Scripture. On Old Testament and New Testament, the whole emphasis of all of that God is doing is centered and focused on Jesus. Because all the fullness of God pleased to dwell there. That word dwell, it's really interesting. It means to reside, but also has this idea of to be at home permanently. In other words, it's not just, well, yeah, God showed up in Jesus. No, the fullness of God, the reality, the totality of God was forced in this man called Jesus. And the fullness of God, the triune God, whoa, resided permanently in Jesus. Jesus is God. That is such a phenomenal concept. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. But the fullness of God reveals itself in Jesus. That's amazing. Uh, Paul moves in verse 20 and talks about this idea of reconciliation. That through him, through Jesus, that he reconciled all things to himself. The word reconcile uh, it's the word reconcile with a prefix in front of it. 
This word only shows up three times in the New Testament, but it means to reconcile, but not just to reconcile, but to reconcile completely, to restore a previous harmonious relationship. And it's to make things right with another. So you have this idea that what, what was God doing in the person of Jesus? Well, Jesus was reconciling all things to himself, not just even our lives as, as humans, but you don't realize that all creation is groaning for redemption and reconciliation. Uh, Paul in Romans 8 says this. He says that all creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And then later on, he says in verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? So Paul is saying, wow, do you not realize just as we groan for the totality of our redemption, I mean, yeah, we, we, we've been forgiven. We've, hey, we've been redeemed. We've been saved. I get that. But there's the full reconciliation and redemption that is coming. And even creation is groaning for that reality. So here is Jesus, whoa, and the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And it is through him that he is reconciling all things to himself. And then he says in verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That, that word, having made peace, it's the only time it shows up in the New Testament. And it's really interesting. It's, it's really two Greek words shoved together. Uh, it's the word peace. And then it's also the word poieo, which is, uh, the word that we translate to do or to bear fruit. And really the idea is it's, it's the internal being expressed on the outside. So it's not like, well, I got to go, go do something. I got I to go barn paint. I'm going to I'm gonna do this. And I'm just kind of like, it's a duty. See, that's not this idea. This idea is it's, it's the internal expression. Uh, poetry is where the word, uh, our word poetry is where this word comes from or is, is rooted in this word. See, poetry, from the very internals of who I am, something is expressed out of my life, and that whoa, out, the inside comes to me on the outside. See, that's the word poieo. So it's interesting. It says that Jesus has made peace, which means it wasn't like he just went out and built peace. Peace from the very depths of who he was sprung out of him, which makes sense because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us that he himself is our peace. So when he made peace, it's not like he, you know, he put his you know, tool belt on and got his hammer and nails and went out and you know, made peace. The idea was that from the internals of, of who he is, something came out of him and what was expressed was peace. So think about this. Here is Jesus and the fullness of God resides in Jesus. And because of that, he is reconciling all things to himself. That from the very inner parts of who he is, he is establishing and making peace. And how did he make the peace? Well, it was through his atoning work on the cross. It was through his blood at the cross, is what Paul tells us. Now, let me give you a few passages on this phenomenal idea of his precious blood and his atoning work on the cross. 
Hebrews 9 says, according to the law, one may almost say all things are clean, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, we need the shedding of blood. 1 Peter 1 tells us, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers. Well, how are we redeemed? Oh, we were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And later on in chapter 2, Peter says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Are, are, you, are you getting the emphasis of this passage? I mean, the whole thing is focused on the, the triumph, the glory, the majesty of our precious Jesus. And he is to have first place in absolutely everything in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in every aspect of society. He is King of kings and the Lord of lords. And at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? He is the preeminent one. He is the one who is first place over all things. And that needs to be true in our lives. So as you step back in our passage, uh, there's this phenomenal progression that's taking place. Uh, again, we looked at verse 15, that Jesus is God, that, that he is the priority and the focus, that he is the creator, that he is the sustainer and the goal, that he is the head. And then Paul says all of that, the reason I'm telling you all of that is so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And why? Well, because in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through his blood of, uh, blood of his cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Isn't that an incredible passage? Let me ask you a question. Based on all of that, is Jesus truly preeminent in your life? I made a quick list that I just want to go through in terms of, is Jesus this in your life? Is Jesus your number one focus? Is Jesus truly your delight? Is he your main drive? Is, is he con your consuming passion? Is he the beat of your heart? Is he the light of your life? Is he the thought in your mind? Is he the word upon your lips? Is he the apple of your eye? Is he the center of your life? Is he your North Star? Is he your supreme focus? Is he truly preeminent, first place, in all things in your life? See, we need to ask that question and not just ask that question once, but we need to ask that question daily. Is Jesus truly first in this day? Is Jesus truly the thought, the heartbeat, the focus of my life today? If you find yourself getting to the end of the day and you've not given Jesus a single thought, see, what does that say about the priority of Christ in our lives could it be that Jesus wants to be involved in everything that we do? And whether we're at work or whether we are shopping for groceries or, or whether we're, we're watching some entertainment, wouldn't it be interesting if in the middle of whatever the activity would be, whether it's quote-unquote spiritual, like reading our Bibles and praying, or whether it's quote-unquote secular, like playing some sport game or, or watching some entertainment, could Jesus have the priority in every single one of those situations? that every moment of every single day that, that we were constantly delighting ourselves in him, what would it look like in your life practically 
if Jesus had first place in every single area of your life, every single moment of the day. He alone is to be preeminent. He alone is to have that position in our lives. And can I encourage you, if he's not, would you repent? Would you find yourself at the foot of the cross? Would you surrender? And would you give your life fully unto him again and just say, Lord, you must be first in my life today. What if we made that our cry every single morning? What if that was the beat of our heart every single moment of the day? I want that more than anything, and I want that for you. I don't want to play games with church. I don't want to just esteem the words of Scripture and not begin to live it. I don't want to just have these refrigerator magnets bumper sticker kind of statements and not have this in reality. I want the life of this. And I want you to have it too. Our generation has seen enough of the hypocrisy. Our generation has seen enough of the people who go to church and then live however they want to live. See, what would it look like if the world began to see men and women of God whose lives declared that Jesus had first place in all things? That's a Christian. Well, pray with me. Lord, oh, we desperately need that in this hour. Lord, we desperately need that in this day. Lord, we don't need just faking it till we make it. Lord, we, we don't just need attending the church and checking it off a list. Lord, we don't, we don't need any more of this showy Christianity that has no life. Lord, you must become first in all things at all moments in our life. Lord, this generation needs to see you. So Lord, would you take our time? Would you take our energy? Would you, would you take our money? Or would you take the things that we talk about? Would you take the things that we dwell upon? Would you, would you take, whether it seems spiritual or secular, would you take the everyday moments of our life and uh, would you be the priority of everything in our lives? That if we're hanging out with friends, you are the priority. If we're at work, you are the priority. If we're at church, you are the priority. That if we're just hanging out in the evenings and we're, and we're resting and we're, and we're just having fun or reading a book or playing a game, that you even then are our priority. Lord, don't let us be idolaters and have anything in a position higher than you. Lord, would you truly be first? Would you be preeminent in everything? For that is truly who you are. And Lord, I want that reality to be the reality of my life. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We just thank you for who you are and the fact that you are alone preeminent. We just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.